I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. And this week's episode sponsor is with Optotrics and Gynecology. We are failing um, our mothers, as you all know, especially our Black and Brown mamas, who are two times more likely to deliver preterm, two times three more likely to actually experience fetal death, um, and three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications. We've done episodes on this in the past. Well, Woodruff's um, OBGYN is established to change this narrative and reality. Um, she's working hard to create an experience in women's health care where you are celebrated, not just tolerated. We understand the issues and unique risks that inundate black and brown women in our healthcare system. She is committed to providing all women with the right, respect, and resources necessary to thrive in every aspect of healthcare. We will continue the work to ensure no mama is left behind. You gotta love that. So please be seen, be heard, be understood at Woodruff. She's coming soon. Now she's in the Cedar Hill area of Texas uh, coming this October. So definitely check out your insurance and whatnot. You can follow her at Doc Woodruff. And that's D-O-C-W-O-O-D-U-S for the latest updates. We'll have her links in our show notes. And now on to the show. So, Mel, um, our past episodes, we've covered a lot of topics during the pandemic. Education, um, last week's episode, we've covered a whole array of things. But we've never really sat down with ourselves to check in with how the Black mother is doing, how we're feeling, how we're surviving during the pandemic. So I thought it's time to schedule an appointment, sit on the couch, and make sense of all of this with our therapist, Dr. Dahomey Abanache. So Dr. Dahomey Abanache is a clinical associate professor at the University of Florida. She practiced as a psychologist for over 10 years in Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Oklahoma. Her clinical focus includes assessment, program development, and cognitive wellness. She often participates in community mental health outreach programming, addressing topics such as microaggressions, stress management, healthy relationships, health aging, mindfulness, and career building. Dahomey's namesake, the Women of Fawn, aka Dahomey Amazons, an all-female military uh, regiment of that waged su several successful battles against French colonizers. Her surname, Abanache, is derived from Yorba, which and means the Good Samaritan. The name was given to her great-grandfather as a result of his willingness to go out of his way to help his community. Dr. Abanache hopes to fulfill her namesake to fight the well-being and health of her community. So welcome, my dear. <coughs> welcome. 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 <laughs> yes, Dr. Abanache is a good friend to the show. And so we are going to jump in. 
And so basically what we did, um, you know, I kind of spoke to some mom friends um, because that's what this podcast is. You know, it's dedicated to our moms. And, you know, we often talk amongst ourselves and, you know, they submitted questions for us to discuss um, dealing uh, how they're dealing during this pandemic. So like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, how would you deal during this time with the roller coaster of emotions that you might be experiencing? Like one of my moms, they called it, they dubbed it like a COVID coaster. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> I, I like that she calls it a, a COVID coaster or like the yeah. roller coaster of emotions because what she's picking up on is what research always already kind of knows is that emotions kind of have this ebb and flow wave about how they progress through a person. And so you'll have a feeling of a little bit of, you know, anticipatory excitement and it kind of grows and grows to giddiness. And then it kind of goes down and it kind of waves away. The same thing with anger where, you know, someone's making you mad and it kind of goes up it kind of goes down and then you kind of cool off. And so the natural flow of an emotion has this kind of web and flow about it. Now, how fast you get to the peak <laughs> and how slow you come down may depend on the circumstance or depend on the situation. But as a psychologist, I can tell you that emotions come and then they go. They will come and then they go. Um, the most important thing about it to remember is at that peak of that emotion where you're at the most intense, whether you're happy, sad, anxious, it doesn't matter. You don't really make the best decisions. So even just being aware of where you are in the moment, um, to give you an example, I can tell you, you got four excited teenagers together and they're really happy and giddy. Guarantee you, they're not going to make a good decision in the next couple minutes, right? Or if I take somebody who's just really, really mad and angry, the next thing that they come out of their mouth may not be the best thing. But if I can give them a pause, if I can give them a couple of minutes, even a couple of seconds, even just a little bit of time for that emotion to peak and come down, then they're able to actually basically tap into their logic, right? They can start to kind of think about their feelings and reflect on their feelings and use their logic to understand why they're feeling, what they're feeling in this, this, this situation. And allowing that emotion to peak and allowing that logic to kind of come in and participate in this process of whatever you're feeling allows you to be able to have a more thoughtful response. So it's a roller coaster. Emotions are in a roller coaster. Being aware of where you are in that roller coaster is the key, right? So if we kind of put um, emotions, um, if we kind of say zero, how anxious are you right now? Zero. Or how anxious right now are you now? A 10. And a 10 would be panic, a full-blown panic attack, right? You're not going to make any good emotions at a 10. You're not going to make a good decision at a 10. Honestly, if you're so relaxed that you're at a zero, you're probably not going to make great decisions either because you just don't care enough. But that's the uniqueness of anxiety. So we're not going to get into that. But if we can start to check in to kind of see where our anxiety is at, where do I feel like I'm near panic? Do I feel like my anxiety is growing? Do I feel like my, I'm kind of calming down and my anxiety is cooling off? If we start to just do those check-ins with ourselves, that actually helps kind of to get through 
this roller coaster that we are in. Just to self-check, how am I feeling now? In this moment, right now, where am I and what does that feel like? Um, is Am I able to think about this situation using both my logic, but also being aware of what I'm feeling as well is really where we're wanting you to get to. What number is that for you? Because it may be different for somebody. Some people, they're at a seven, eight, nine, ten. It's all emotion. For other people, you know, they're pretty rational. But once you flip over into that 10, it's done. You know, so understanding you are unique and how you feel and process emotions and really try to get a sense of where you are on that roller coaster and allow that to inform how you engage or disengage with others. I feel like I, th- I feel like even to get there, there has to be like a high, like you're mentioning a high level of self-awareness, right? So like, it's like a a fight or flight kind of situation. Like you mentioned, you're at a peak, right? So you're at the peak and it's like, okay, some people may not have that capability. I'm not saying everybody, you know, to in that moment. So like, you know, what do you do then? I give you that, but I also would challenge that people are probably more aware than what they give themselves credit for. And they say things like, you're on my last nerve. If this happens one more time, I don't know if I'm going to take it because if it happens again, I'm going to blow up. What these cues are is that you're, you're getting towards the peak of that roller coaster, right? Okay. The language I use with my husband is, is like, look, my frustration tolerance is low. Like at this point, I'm so irritated and aggravated. I can already feel like one more thing is going to make me be over the top, right? And there's a sense, it's kind of, and you also really know when you pull off, right? Because you'll say something out your mouth and then five minutes later, you'll be like, oh man, man, you know, I came out myself. That's the other thing that somebody says, you know, I, I got, I stepped out of myself in that moment. And so we're using these words in a way to just basically describe, it's like, okay, my emotions have been, took me out of myself. That's what you're saying. That peak of that emotion, right? I wasn't happy. I was giddy, right? Make really bad, make really bad spending decisions when we're happy. We make really bad food decisions when we're happy. But we make very bad decisions with our language when we're mad. We're making very bad decisions um, when we're in that space. So my challenge is we're probably more aware of that. And if we kind of reflect, right? So I reflect on, okay, when did that conversation turn left? And what did that feel like for me? What was I thinking? And even tapping into physiologically what it feels like. So I've learned like dep- like anxiety. I start to look like a football player, like no joke. Like my shoulders will be at my earlobes. And I can kind of feel it when I just mm-hmm. stop and scan my body. Um, anger for me is antsiness, right? I got to go. I got to like, I can just feel this circulating energy and it's really anger because I know I'm about to pop off. Right. So having even an awareness of those states, because sometimes it may not be, I may not have the ability to name the emotion, but I know inside my heart is like starting to pick up. Right. So I think we are more aware of it than we give our credit to. It's really now just kind of doing an internal or an opportunity to turn your focus internally to see where you're at and what is mm-hmm. what is this feeling? What does this feel like? Okay, I can, I can get that. I can get with that. So, 
how do you deal with identifying like your purpose when either you were a busy mom or even like a busy person, right? If you were like a social per a social person, um, I, like, like I said, this is a podcast, right? So a dedicated to moms. So we have moms that, you know, literally have their whole life surrounded by their kids, whether they're shuttling them to, you know, extracurricular activities to and from school, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, and then all of that has come to a halt, right? Like the pandemic, everything has shut down. So even if you were like a social person, right? And you were, you did happy hour on Tuesdays, you know, professional Thursday, like all of that has come to a halt. And now you're stuck with a sense of like, who am I? Like, how do you come to terms with that? Does that even make sense? I guess. I don't know. You know what I'm saying, Mel? Our world has been completely changed. You know, I mean, yeah. one moment where, you know, um, I guess like our calendars have been back to back to back and mm -hmm. next thing you know, it's like, Oh, I guess, I guess I didn't have to go outside the house. Not that you don't have to go outside the house, but now you're like, what do I do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Your calendar isn't, it isn't all the way full. Um, I mean, I, I definitely can see this. Um, for me, how I've been dealing with it, you know, I, I know no two moms are alike, but it's been slightly relaxing, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, not to have to go somewhere and shuttle this child around. And thankfully, it's just the one, you know, props out to those of you who had four. I don't know how y'all did it, you know, multiple kids um, and shuttling them around. But just now it's just, oh, okay. Um, we don't have, I mean, he has sports now, but it's a little bit different. Um I don't, I don't feel like I, I don't feel rushed anymore. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's not like, um, I don't feel like I have to have 40 things on the calendar anymore. Um, I'm able to slow down a little bit more. Um, I, I have found that I'm able to find, to figure out, I guess, different ways of spending time with my son without feeling like, we've got to go to somebody's amusement park or go do some other sport. Just, I, I don't know. I've mm -hmm. been trying to work on being other creative. Um, I know like off air, we had talked to the homie about like, Oh, she's like doing gardening now. Right. So it's kind of like, I've been looking yeah. for other things at home to enjoy the time with my son and my yeah. child too. I mean, granted, I mean, I probably like have helped Amazon, you know, fund somebody's education with the amount of boxes that have come in. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> but within those shipments, like, oh, okay, well, now I like doing makeup, you know, for myself. You know what I mean? Like, my own self-care as well, too. Like, a new hobby. Um, I, think this is this a happen. I think this is an amazing time to, to have a new hobby or to share your hobbies with your kids, too, right? Like, um, one of my friends was showing how she bought ladybugs for her garden, and she had her son with them and she was explaining you know why you want ladybugs to help eat the aphids and had him participate in spreading the ladybugs around the garden and so I think it would be an amazing time to start a hobby or a project with the whole family that they all can participate in and have an opinion and have an opportunity to learn 
this is a great opportunity just to share your family knowledge, right? Your, your grandpa was a gardener, you know, what tips have been passed down in the family? Your grandma was a cook, you know, how can these be a part of this time? Because they're not going to get that in school. And while they're in school, they don't have the opportunity to learn these things that are a part of the family legacy. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. Obviously, you you get that portion of wanting to spend time with your children. But I also feel like, you know, pre-COVID, um, we had as moms that time away, quote unquote, um, whether they can be sent to school or, you know, like a, a, on the weekend, they could go to whatever adventure kids or, you know what I mean? Like something like the, the little gym, for example, you know, yeah. something, kids love him. They have you know, activities. Yeah. yeah, where you, you know, they could, um, expend their energy. You could have some personal me time to yourself. You got a hobby that's Whereas, it's not, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like for you, like I want, I can't have any me time when everybody is always in my face since March. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But I think that's so, like, I don't know. So this this is just it's just interesting. I think it's more of a modern phenomenon in parenting. Cause y'all remember like as kids, you used to get in trouble if you came in the house and your mom was doing something, like you were supposed to be out her face. Like, y'all better be out this house. Don't come back in until six o'clock. Like I'm gonna, you know, you can yeah, when, the lights, when the lights come on, when the lights yeah. lights come on. Yeah, yeah. I have been locked out of my house, right? Not necessarily locked in. Like, oh, no, no, no. Y'all need to be outside, play, be active. Right? But we don't do that anymore, right? We We don't ask that of our kids. It's almost like, you know, we're putting ourselves in this position where we're supposed to be entertaining these kids, you know, 24-7. Not necessarily, but kind of. So on some level, I do think there is this, Important. Everything for me comes back to model. Like, what do I want to model to my kids? It's mm. important to model to kids, not only to, it's okay to have your quiet time. It's important to respect other people's quiet time and to give them that space and time to read, right? So, like, if, let's say prayer, family prayer. It's no thing. If you know your mother's, your grandmother's praying, you better not interrupt her while she's praying. She's in her prayer room. Or better be quiet. You know, you kind of know those rules. I don't understand why that wouldn't apply to this situation in a way where we are teaching our kids certain boundaries where, you know, mom needs to have her mom time. You know, my best example was, um, I, I am known to crash. If y'all bring y'all kids to Orlando to go to Disney world, I may or may not show up with a backpack full of candy and books and just enjoying your family vacation because I'm in family Disney World vacation at least once a month. I feel like that's a great idea, right? So I, I will tell you the next time I'm, I'm down you there. You crashing. I, I will tell her. Give me, don't tell me where your hotel room is because you're going to come back. I'm going to be sitting in the hallway with my little bitty back. <laughs> I, I can see this. I can huh? see this. She's like, so oh, welcome. Huh? You're like, welcome to Orlando. Welcome to Orlando. I'm a part of the committee. The last time I was there, I was with my niece. Mind you, she was four years old. 
And she was looking for her mom. And I was like, well, you know, you need to leave your mom alone. She needs to sleep. And she was like, but she doesn't like a nap. She's like, why does mommy want to take a nap? Who wants to take a nap? I said, well, you know how when your mom gets kind of grumpy and kind of mad at everything and kind of snaps at you? And do you like that? And she's like, no, I don't like it. I said, well, maybe she needs a nap. She was like, huh? I said, sometimes when you give your parents time for a nap, when they wake up, they tend to be ready to have a whole lot more fun with you. And she could kind of understand that, right? And I'm being very honest with her. Like, why do adults want naps? Why are your parents scheduling a two-hour break in the middle of the day of Disney World? Because they're tired. (laughs) But what's the benefit for you, right? And what I'm really trying to do is model to her self-care, your parents need a two-hour break because it's good for them and it's good for their health. And when they don't get this time for self-care, it's not good for you. It's not good for your well-being, right? So in some levels, what's wrong with teaching kids that? To understand that people need a break. People need time to themselves. And then that's a healthy thing to ask for. It's okay to ask for it as a parent or a kid, right? And it's, it's important that when people ask for that boundary, it, it's okay to, that it's important that you respect that boundary. Mm-hmm. Right? We can do mm-hmm. it for prayer. We can do it maybe like when your sister's sick. Oh, your little sister's sick. She needs you to be quiet. We can understand that, right? If there's an extreme circumstance, but we don't necessarily just give it in the day to day. I can feel that. I can feel that. I guess. So, I, oh, so Mel, you didn't mention. No, I don't mean my mom's out there listening going, yeah, I guess, you know, I got to shoot. I, you know what? You know, and I, you oh, hear me. I already feel it. I feel like. No, it's not that. I'm like, oh, oh. Well, because my challenge is that as we were talking offline that I, you know, as a, as a healthcare worker, there hasn't, like, I hadn't skipped a beat. So, like, there hasn't been that um, forced downtime, you know, that, that yeah. being quarantined you know, was able to provide. So it's like, okay, okay. So I wake up and you're in my face, right? You're in my mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go to work and deal with, you know, you know, the, the mental capacity of work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I have to come home and then you, you know, literally as I turn the key in the door, you in my face, <laughs> you know what I'm I mean? So face. it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. there is no, there is no, um, as as Domi said, there is no nap time for me. There is no downtime, you know. Yeah, um, because they've already probably which, had their nap time. Yeah, they've had their nap time, which is you know opposite to the question, you know, where we're trying to say like, fine, you know, what's my purpose? Like my mm-hmm. whereas the opposite, the question was like, you know, moms where they were happy like to be doing that, like that's that's what they found their their joy in doing, like you know, and and you know that's their thing, like. I'm happy, you know, you know, Johnny, Johnny's got karate at three, piano at four, you know, I got cook dinner at five, at six, we're going to read at seven is bath time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were part of that, you know, strict schedule. And then now it's like, boom. So now they have a whole, pretty much like a good chunk of their day to do nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying like, okay, hobby, yes, we can do a hobby, but we can't do the hobby for like the eight hours, you know what I'm saying? For like the yeah. six hours of the day. So it's like, yeah. you know, you know, how I, do you, how do you deal with that? So then you kind of like, well, I, 
I, I guess, and that, I think maybe that goes to the to another question, or you know, like identifying who you are as 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 yourself. Maybe I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. You are yeah. more than you know, being a mom. I guess I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah but I think that is an important part because you are more than a mom what are you modeling to your child if all that you are 24 7 is a mom but all they are 24 7 now is a child right Uh so now you've got yourself in this dynamic where my whole life is around keeping you entertained keeping you happy making sure you don't want for nothing making sure that you don't you know you have everything you need right yeah you're a great mom but you're not also helping your kid to become independent in themselves. Not mm. Learning how to entertain themselves and be by themselves. Learning mm. how to take care of themselves from when mom is. Say that again, for um, so they didn't hear you. They didn't hear you. The homie they didn't hear you. Could you could you go back to this? One more one more again. Let, I'm let just saying, like, if you're a 24 <laughs> seven mom, then you will raise a 24 seven child. That they're expecting oh. everything from the people around them. That. I don't need to find a way to entertain myself. My husband or my spouse or my friends need to find a way to entertain me. I shouldn't be necessarily cooking for myself. You, the people in my life should cook for myself. I'm not in charge of my happiness. The people around me are in charge of my happiness. That That's what you're raising. But if you're modeling to your child, like you need to respect other people's time and other people's space. You need to understand and read when is mom tired? You know, I remember growing up where, you know, I jumped on my dad as soon as he came in. My mama would intervene and say, the homie come over here. He needs to go eat. He needs to go be cleaned up. You need to get out of your daddy's face. You know, allow him to do all of that. And then once he's ready, you can go ahead and, and, and be a kid again. Right. So, again, what are you modeling and what, what are the expectations you're building of your child of the world? Because that switch does not flip off one day. You know, once you decide, oh, I'm 18 and I'm not going to be their their entertainment and their chauffeur and I'm not going to be, you know, their uh, person that they're going to have to need to make happy. It doesn't shift, doesn't um, switch off. Your role as a mom is to raise this person into being this independent adult as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just, I'm just in that thinking for some folks. That's all. Read me, don't me. <laughs> I remember growing up. This is for uh, this is like for real. Like so, I remember when I go to my cousin's house. And I used to hate it, but now I feel like every kid should grow up with that. So I'm from a Nigerian family. Nigerians work hard. I debate me if you want on this, but they work hard. And so my auntie um, always she's t- she was a critical care night nurse for 35 years, even when she was raising her kids. And I remember when I would go over there on the weekend, auntie had to go work. We had to play quietly. It wasn't like, oh, my kids want to play and they need to be themselves. Like, no, like we had to learn that we, when we play, it can't be 100% about what we want to do. We have to think about who's in our environment. We knew, like my cousins, I'm normal ADHD. I got checked real quick. Like, ooh, be quiet. Think about it. Don't forget, mom's upstairs. You got to think that there's someone here to help me, right? And I felt like I got a lot from that. That even as a kid, I had to be aware of my environment and how my behavior is affecting everybody in this house. And I felt like that was formative for me. That's a good learning. Yeah. It's okay to Mm -hmm. tell the kid, hey, 
give mommy 30 minutes, give mommy give an mommy. hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, let mommy take a nap. I can so relate because my mom was she worked she worked a uh, night shift too for thirty years from eleven to seven. So um, yes, I always play quietly. <laughs> oh man, that when you wake up a night shift worker, that whooping! Oh, that whooping comes, but they hard. You don't you only got to get that whooping once. When they come downstairs and they bonnet is off and you look in their eyes, ain't no, ain't no man. They got the strength of 10,000 men. You just. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or or you go in the room, you go in the, you go in the room and you close that door. (laughs) And you think about what you ask for before you interrupt. Cause you know, if you knock on that door and wake them up, it had better be something important. Right. right. The, the, house, the house better be on fire. I was like, the house better be on fire. Um, there better be an all out brawl in the house, like furniture moving. <laughs> if it's a fight that you can break up, if it's a fight that y'all can break up, I'm 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 still whooping your ass. But if it's an all out brawl that furniture is moving, cops need to be called, okay. <laughs> you learn a lot about life, I'm telling you. So, all right, let's go to our next question. How do we address, this is a good question. How do we address toxic or strained relationships during this pandemic? Because like I said, you hoisted up 24 seven with somebody, (laughs) you know, it can either be love or it can be hate. I mean, the whole time. Think, but, you know, <laughs> we're cracking up because we went to a wedding literally the week before the lockdown. And I turned to him and I was like, baby, could you imagine getting married and then the next week being locked in the house with each other for four months? He was like, we couldn't made it. And I can tell y'all, we would not have made it. And we lived together first. But, ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. What y'all think? Look at the I'm asking you, you, you my therapist. Wait, wait, wait. Who's on the couch? <laughs> I mean, are y'all still married? Yes, I yeah. am. Uh, do you do you like y'all she, husband or are you living on the couch? Mel is in a partnership. Yeah. So I mean he's so alive. I, he's alive. Are you I'm leaning on vows or do you still feel excited when you see him? Hey. I'm about to see the fifth, but you're leaning on. No, don't look. Look, she's talking to you. Look at me. She's talking to you. You're leaning on the promises that y'all made, or or is y'all thriving? I mean, we do. <laughs> she said, "I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, we, we get on each other's nerves. I mean, I think this with anybody right now. I don't think it's a strange. No, I think we. I think I think we both. You know, one. I'm a hermit. Crowd. I can be a hermit crowd. Yeah. I, I this. It's your jam. Maybe. I mean, I have to go in right now. Like, so I have to go into the office. Um, but when they said, when they said shelter in place, I was like, what? This is beautiful. That's all you had to tell me. Like, this is great. Let me get the Instacart. All the stuff, all the stuff was coming to the house. It, yeah. Yeah, I saw Instacart. Him, not so, but like, the fact that he could do it for a month, was was good, and I I've given his him his props, but and I I recognize my understand. 
but you know, but he, you know, he had to be, kind of do like the home gym um, instead of trying to go. So he's had to adjust. Um, I mean, but I don't feel estranged, no. But I have, but I have said, I said, now if you need a hotel room, that's okay too. Okay, go go visit your mama. She been social distancing. She needs you. <laughs> Okay, she needs you sometimes. Hotels are open. I tell people that too. I told a I told a client that I said you need a hotel room just to run away from your significant other. That's okay. I mean, this yeah, is just like so personal. I'm gonna give y'all what the APA says. But again, I think it almost goes back to what I was saying earlier. I, I had a realization when I first moved in with my husband. It was not his responsibility to entertain me, which I did not like that idea because I had moved to Ohio from Philly and I was in fun affiliate restaurants. And we went to this town in Ohio and I was bored and I was mad at him. I had to come to terms. It was not his responsibility to mm-hmm. keep me entertained. I'm always like that. And, and it's the same thing with the quarantine. Like um, I've really pushed myself to be productive, even though I'm not quarantined. My husband really hasn't changed his routine. He's kind of exactly who he's always been. I'm the more busy, busy, busy got to do stuff. He's okay with watching Netflix. It's just different like that. And I check myself sometimes from trying my desire to expect him to be someone different than who he's always been. If this is who he's always been, comfortable being at home, watching TV, he doesn't need a bunch of projects. He puts all that energy in his work. And just because I want to change something on my quarantine state doesn't mean he wants to. You know, he's being exactly who he always has been since we got together. It, it, it is what it is. And just to kind of realize and accept that that's who he is and that's where we're at. And that's fine. Um, that's one way that we kind of do. Um, the other thing that I've already said is just kind of check your emotions. Right. So try to avoid having those conversations when you're at that peak of anger, when that last nerve has ticked or almost ticked. Sometimes that's not the best time to talk through things. And I think that's a hard thing to learn, right? Because it's kind mm-hmm. of like things are good and happy. Everything's copacetic. You don't want to mess that up. You just want to be happy. Then what happens is when you're angry, you want to talk about everything that made you mad for the last 10 months that you haven't been talking about. And that's not only too much. It's probably not going to come out the right way, the right tone, and the way that it needs to be said. And so sometimes I've I've definitely learned with this man that a lot of our arguments and disagreements, nothing gets solved in the heat of anger. Never change anyone. Yelling has never changed anyone's mind. Okay? (laughs) Yelling has never changed anyone's mind. But a lot of times change comes in our relationship through a bunch of discussions. Some of them may be yelling, right? But for me to expect for him to get it or understand me or to really see it after one conversation doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's too three, four, five conversations. Sometimes it's over four months, right? Mm. And conversations go a lot better when we are calm, when we are in a, in a decent place. And sometimes that is, now I'm calm. Let's talk about what had happened and how we got there. Like, whoa, like that conversation went left. I didn't expect it to go left. This is when my last nerve was ticked. This is when I felt like I went, you know, I went there, right? So it's um, using those moments where we're kind of in a good, chill place to be able to talk with reflection. And I always say, hey, I, want, I don't want you to, this is not a conversation to get mad about. I just want to know what happened, right? 
So I'm not trying to talk about the topic we haven't agreed about. I want to talk about how we got to that. You know, what, what, what you said to make me tick you off. And if I'm in a mature place, what did I say to tick you off? Right. What, what took us to there? Um, it's a lot easier to do when you're not at that peak. Um, the same thing is like starting to check in. So I'm trying to have, you know, I'm a psychologist. I'm not perfect at these things. My husband doesn't show emotion. So what I've been trying to do is baby, like when we're in a good place, how are you doing really? Right. Are you stressed? I can't tell if you're stressed. How do you know when you're stressed? Cause this is how I know when I'm stressed. How do you know when like, you're just angry? This is how I know. I think you're angry when you was on the phone. I was like, oh my gosh, he's tripping. He's angry. Was that what you were? You know? So it's really a conversation to say, how are you feeling? Right. But not in a, like a direct way. I'm trying to literally learn how you are in these moments. And, and that honestly, in quarantine, when you increase the stress, people's typical ways of responding to a situation change in extreme stress. Our emotional responses sometimes can actually flip the, strip, flip the script and go almost to the opposite. It's like, I'm so stressed, I can't care anymore, right? Or I can't not care anymore, so I'm just going to be overwhelmed with anxiety. So having these changes in like kind of in how the person responds to stressors under an extreme is not uncommon. That's more reason to kind of communicate about it. Now it also helps them to have insight, but it helps you to have insight, right? The APA also says like, you know, I'm talking about protecting time for you. You know, have some time for you and your partner. Have fun, you know, cook together, do something together, do something that feels a little bit closer to normal together. So if you guys have a Friday date night, well, your kids are already used to that. You guys having a Friday date night, ask for them to say, Hey, you can make it a family event. Say we're going to have family date night. Maybe you guys cook. And then you could talk about how bad they cook when they go to bed. You know what I mean? (laughs) You can, you can try to replicate some of these things in, in, in your life that makes you feel connected, you know? Some couples, they're going to be like, yeah, we all went and got an online class to learn salsa together. And now we're master salsa dancers. That's what I had expected for me and Greg. It ain't happening. Y'all. <laughs> right. But some couples are going to use this time to maybe this is a great time for you to connect with yourself. Right. I'll say me and Greg are just getting along a lot better. Like we tell each other how much we appreciate each other every day. You know, I appreciate that when I come home to you, you you ain't freaked out yet. I appreciate that when I come home to you, that you thought about this small thing for me. Um, so we're not doing these amazing salsa master classes together, but I really do appreciate it more because I feel like these conversations have made us thoughtful for one another. Oh, that's good. That's good. I feel like. Um Although, you know, I'm still out of the house um, this time, like you said, we have been a little bit closer together. Hang on. (laughs) But um, so, for example, like yesterday, he did um, Instacart the very first time, which I thought was like really good. So it made me. Do you? Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's interesting the Instacart because uh, I I know I 
I won't say get in trouble, but I'm known for my Instacarting very quickly um, in that regard. So that that's interesting. We keep hearing that we're trying to get to being normal, <laughs> but there seems to be this like let now that we're not getting towards the normal of this COVID, as you know, like reopening and things are closing. Um, how do we avoid like becoming pessimistic in what's not happening in terms of being normal? How do we get beyond, how do we not become pessimistic, Doc? What do you think? That's a great question, Mel. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like I need to get on the couch again. <laughs> about to turn my body down the couch. <laughs> I think really what it is is you kind of you're feeling out of control, right? We don't have no control to the end of this deadline because of Florida, right? I don't have control over Florida and I'm here. Like, <laughs> look, they don't care whether we live or die here. It's not just your state. That's not just your state. <laughs> I feel out of control. So I think in that Finding like the one thing you do have control over. I have control over the beginning and the end of this. I'm, my garden is mine, right? Now I have control of when I plant my seeds, how much I water, all of the rewards and gains from that are God, nature, and what I'm putting into it, right? I don't have to count on nobody doing what they're supposed to do for this garden to be what I expect it to be. That gives me a little bit of a relief or a break because you're right. There's a lot of uncertainties out there that are natural in this system. There are a lot of people out there who are letting us down because this is how we want a pandemic. This is how we think it should go. And they're not doing it. But we don't have control over those other factors. So finding those little moments where you feel like, oh, this is important to me. I did it. I made a difference from beginning to end. And that has meaning to me is really where it's important. The other thing is just faith and leaning on your faith. Um, psychology will never replace your faith and your belief and your spirituality. And any psychologist who tries, you need to find another one, right? So just sometimes standing on belief, standing on a maker that's bigger than you, finding those small little moments. It may be moment to moment, right? You know, this 2020 sucked, but I had a wonderful morning. 2020 sucked, but these are the best blueberry... Waffles I've ever made in my life. You know what I mean? It's kind of taking it back to just this moment where you have power and control and feel like you can make a difference. Um, because there is a lot of uncertainty out there that none of us have power over. That goes to, I was just looking at Instagram. You know, Instagram is the, the place of inspiration, right? And so, like, someone had posted, um, again, it was from another psychologist, <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> whatever, let me, whatever, y'all. And so, um, a friend of ours had posted it, and just to, just to Mel's question, it said, as we grow, we begin to see the self-sabotage before we jump in the pit. Breathe and walk around it. And so... Yes. I was just like, when you were talking, I just, that just came to mind because I saw it this morning and I was just like, huh. Yeah. Again, I don't think we give ourselves credit. Now, mind you, and I know this is going to come up later. Kids, they're not always as great into tuning into those things. And honestly, there are some people who can go into adulthood and not learn how to name their feeling. I don't know what this is, but I don't like it. And I'm about to tear things up, right? Because they haven't associated that experience with what we call anger. 
or what we call giddiness, right? I mean, and, and there's probably emotions here for me that I don't always tap into directly. But we probably are more aware of it than we give ourselves credit for. And being aware that emotions change over and over and over again is always remarkable. Like, I still remember to this day when my dad died and how much despair I felt. But then also, I don't remember what happened, but dying laughing in the same day. And pausing and saying, aren't I supposed to feel this grief completely and totally for the next 48 hours? No, because that's not how emotions work. I'm getting these waves of grief, but in between, maybe I'm having joy of connecting with my siblings. Maybe in between, I'm having happiness because my mom made my favorite meal. And maybe in between, I'm having anxiety. It's not all this despair because that's not how we feel. Right? Take a breath. Breathe. Breathing. We'll talk about breathing. I don't have enough time in this podcast. Changes it physiologically will change your experience of an emotion. It works. Vitamin nature, greenery, getting outside will physiologically affect your body in a way that it changes how you're processing emotions. Um, but you got to know when you need those things. You got to know when you need to breathe and when you need to go outside and when you need to do those things before you can implement the strategy. I guess, and then um, we started to talk about this. We started to talk about this um, before, but it's like, how do we recognize anxiety in ourselves and in others? <laughs> um, I always kind of struggle with in others, right? Um, Let's just start with yourself. So everybody is different, right? I can give you the physiological correlates of anxiety. So when we're anxious, it flips on the fight or flight response in our body. It can be something very subtle or very intense, meaning, again, you can have that switch turn up to, to like a dimmer switch, right? You can have it turn the lights on all the way or you can have control of this dimmer switch, right? Everybody, the anxiety is pretty different, but physiologically what happens is pretty much the same. You tend to have a little bit of a shortened breath. You tend to have, some people want to go to the bathroom a lot because it affects your digestive tract. Um, for some people, it's sweating. For some people, it's a tension. For me, my muscles tighten up. It feels a little bit different, but that's at the intensity of it. Other things that you see, you're not able to think as clearly. You're not able to focus. You're not able to concentrate. Um, all of these things kind of kick in. But what most important thing is, is what is it for you? Think about a time where you were the most anxious. You know, what did that time feel like for you physiologically? Where did you have your pains? Where did you have your aches? What were people saying to you? You walking around looking mad. Maybe your face is tensing up. Maybe you need to relax some of them, your jawline or something, right? Like, Think about those experiences. What did it feel like in your chest? Did it feel like your heart was beating out your chest? That time where you almost got in that car accident and they cut you off. And you remember that you just wanted to scream and yell and that you wanted to just went straight to cuss somebody out, right? Like what did it feel like when you were waiting for your test to come back? All of those things. Think about physically. Oh, I remember when my test come back, my stomach hurt. Or I remember when I had to go and speak. My girlfriend always says this I had to go doo-doo, man. I got so upset I had to go doo-doo, right? Because that is physiologically what happens when you get anxious. You got so worked up, you had to go doo-doo, right? What does anxiety feel like for you? It's going to be different for everybody. So, and it, it's different on where you're at because a two of an anxiety feels different than a 10 of anxiety, right? 
starting to do those check-ins and seeing what does it feel like for you is really what the answer is, right? How do you start to think differently, right? Like I, you start to say to yourself, I know they better not say this. I'm not even, I can't even, I'm not going to be here for this. I got to get out of here, right? All of these are, are, are things, thoughts that we're having that are actually cues of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. We put it on other people. Oh, she made me so mad. Every time she's around, da, 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 da. Yeah, every time he's around, you're anxious, right? Every time, every time you see her face, you get anxious. That's really what it is. That's what you're communicating. That's what your body's communicating. Hmm. So it's harder. I don't like to say it with adults. Like, how can I tell when they're anxious? That's what you want to know. <laughs> Ask them. Like, hey, like, how are you feeling? Like, you know, I asked my husband, like, was you angry? No, I wasn't yet angry. I was frustrated. This is why I was frustrated. Like, well, how do I know when you're frustrated? Like, how can I tell, right? Asking them, that's the best way because I'm a psychologist and I can make so many assumptions, right? When I'm talking to my patients, I'm like, oh, you're anxious? No. I say, like, how are you feeling? I said, if I was in this situation, I imagine I would feel anxious. Is that what that feeling is for you? Really kind of helping them to find language. Where the help needs to be is for little kids, right? For your children, for your teenagers, right? Um, It's interesting because we don't teach boys an emotional language, right? We teach them just don't have any emotions. Don't cry, don't be mad, don't be upset. You you don't have emotions. Why are you smiling so much? You always smiling, right? Help them to say, what are you feeling right now? Is this, are you worrying? What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Um, what are your thoughts? That's does that sound like does it sound like you're angry? And so what you're doing as a parent is pausing and having them stop. What are your thoughts right now? How are you feeling? Why is your chest hurting? Why is your stomach hurting, honey? Every, every day before school, your stomach is hurting. You know, are you worried about something going on school at school? Are you thinking about something at school a lot? Like, it's really helping them to associate what's going on with their body to a feeling word. We can have feelings and not know what words actually fit to it. And that's really what the role of a parent is, and you do it two ways, not only asking them, but being reflecting on what you're feeling. You know, when, you know, my niece, you know, when your mom gets a little bit cranky and kind of gets mad about everything, she's probably feeling tired. You sometimes when you feel tired, things kind of just make you really upset easily, right? You're helping your kids to understand, you're, you're giving them an emotional language because it's not a natural thing. That makes sense, right? Kids have a feeling in their stomach, and my stomach hurts, and that's why I don't want to go to school. Well, maybe that's anxiety, right? Or kids get, you know, really excited, and they can't sit still. If you're just too happy, you're excited. Let's calm down. I don't. I need you to calm down because you're gonna go in there, and you're gonna tear up their house. Take a breath, right? <laughs> you're helping them to connect. We do this, and I don't think we're aware of it, right? Helping them to connect these physiological feelings to, to, to words. I think it's really good. Words, we can communicate them. Right. I was going to say, um, I guess the other point, which you, I think you also touched on too, is like, as an adult, if you don't understand 
how are you going to be able to teach the kids? And I mean, but you kind of touched on that too, like just asking general questions, you know, the body language and stuff like that. So ask your partner, ask your partner, mm-hmm. you know, are you angry? Cause you, I felt like it was hollering. Honestly, this is not related, but related. I love to do this with customer service. Cause you can tell when they mad at you, you kind of shut them down real quick. They're like, excuse me, ma'am. I don't understand why you don't understand me. And I'm like, sir, you sound very angry right now. Are you angry? They know they can't be angry. So then they have to clean it up. I'm not angry. Oh, well, you sound angry with the way you're communicating to me. And so now I feel like you're angry and this conversation isn't in there. Then they got to clean that up. I love putting them on the spot for that. So, <laughs> But they can't do that because I could be like, yes, I am angry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and also I'm pointing out to I'm doing it in a manipulative way. So you can do that for your partner in a very manipulative way. And I hate it. Like me, one of my first arguments with Aya was like, oh, well, Dahmi, you sound like you're tired. So I'm going to get off the phone. Who you? Everything was tired. It didn't matter. Right. Like, oh, you sound like you're tired. I'm going to hang up. Don't tell me how I'm feeling and what I want to do right now. I don't want to hear that from you. If I feel like I'm tired, you should say, hey, are you tired? You sound tired. What I'm hearing from you is you sound tired. Oh, no, baby, I'm not tired. It's just how I'm, I'm leaning on my left hand and talking to my mouth, right? So, and, and honestly, in that situation, he was being manipulative because he didn't want to talk to me. But in saying, hey, baby, I'm ready to get off the phone, he would say, baby, you sound tired. I'm going to go ahead and hang up. And that was the conversation. Like, dude, if you don't want to talk to me, you don't want to talk to me. Don't make it be that you think I'm tired and you're doing this for me. Because that's manipulative. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a very passive approach to communication to me, which hurts my nerves. But, you know, that's neither here nor there right now. But, yeah. As opposed to saying, baby, you sound tired right now. Are you tired? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how you get that out of your, that's, a, that's with a partner, right? That's what you're doing with a partner. Kids is where you're helping them to find those language. Honey, you sound tired. Are you tired? When you're tired, this is what mama notices. You know, when you're when you're anxious, when your stomach hurts, this is what mama notices, right? So you're trying to help them have that language. With your partner, you have to be a lot a lot more thoughtful in that approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can make a whole lot of assumptions that are incorrect in that. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. Uh, last question. And this is um, kind of on the topic of teenagers. In that, um, one mom asked, as a mom of teenagers, how can I effectively communicate what they need to know as they move into adulthood with the already overwhelming burden of what we're experiencing right now? Yeah. Yeah. I see. I feel like that's like a lot (laughs) to ask. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, you can, you can, it's a, it's a lot to answer in just one question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it is. It is. Teenagers are hard because they don't like to talk. And they don't like to talk about their emotions with their parents. Okay. And you can't take that, you know, don't take it personal. I tell people all the time, it's developmental that they're not going to like you until they're after 25. Don't be in your feelings about it because it's not going to change. They just don't. But also, I think it's easy to take for granted what kids already know. And so as much as you kind of allow them because that's really what it is they're at that age where they are thinking more they are having opinions or they're touching into their deductive reasoning they're starting to to be able to think through problems in a way a lot more clear 
And so if you engage it in a conversation, I think it goes a lot better. Have them tell them, what do you feel like? What do you think is going on? How do you feel about this Black Lives Matter? Does that affect how you hang out with your friends? Tell me what you know about COVID. Tell me how you feel about going to school. You're not telling them what to do. Really what you're doing is you're trying to see what they know. Not fixing, not correcting. Your job is just to listen, right? Before you get into that conversation, to just hear to see and understand what you think, that what they think they already know, right? And then you can guide that conversation a little bit more, right? guide it a little bit more but you have to time it too i don't you're not going to think that if you go and interrupt their video game and make them turn it off and come in here because you guys want to have a conversation they're not really going to talk to you because they in their feelings and one thing about teenagers they don't have very much control over these roller coasters of emotions and it's it's hormonal and it's all over the place and you ride in those roller coaster of emotions with them that's even more of a time where you need to practice. You need to jump in on that roller coaster when they're at a good place. Um, it's also a time where, again, what are you modeling to your kid? I want my child to be a thoughtful adult. I want them to think about others. I want them to know how to think through problems. So how do we do that? More is caught than taught. You know, well, this is what I was feeling when this happened. And this was my initial response. But I knew as an adult, I couldn't just, you know, tell my job I'm over it and I'm done with y'all and I'm not coming in because I don't want to get the disease. I had to think about what my decisions would affect with others. So what you're doing is, is you're, you're, you're showing your kids how you think through problems, right? I didn't want to go to work and I didn't appreciate how my boss came to me. And that made me mad. And I don't know how long I'm going to do this, which is frustrating, but I had to stop and remember what is at the cost? What can I do to keep myself safe? And how am I going to implement this so I can feel safe, right? You are modeling to your, your teenagers kind of what you want from them. And again, more is taught than, more is caught than taught. I can't tell you, because my nephews lost their mom when they were kind of young. And so they were calling auntie, auntie homie for advice. And every time they'd be like, Auntie Homie, I can't believe this. Let me tell you this situation, blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. I'm listening. I'm out. Well, this is what I think, you know, should happen. Do they do? Because if you do this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking it out. Uh-huh. I homie. Thank you. Get off the phone. They do exactly the opposite of what I tell them to do. Stuff blows the fans. It just is a mess, right? Um, I remember one of the examples, my nephew was in school. And he didn't like the grade that he got from his professor. So he wrote an email saying, Problem number one, I don't like the grade that you gave me. Number two, this was a problem with your class. And number three, it was this. So I think you should change my grade. And I was like, honey, did you hit send on that? He said, I sure did. I said, well, you're about to fail this class because um, your tone right now, you know, <laughs> the next time you come about it, this is how I want you to, to lay it out, right? So he's, they, teenagers, are going to go out there and make mistakes. You're going to tell them exactly what to do. They still want to do the opposite. But the next time that my nephew and that happened, guess who he called first? Guess who he had help him write out that letter with him, right? And so sometimes it's really tough to watch your teenagers make really bad decisions. That girl's going to break your heart. That girl is not right for you. Right. It's hard to watch them to walk through that. But if you're telling them the right thing, helping them to think about it, helping them to identify the risks and being available when they come back to you to be like, oh, my gosh, she broke my heart. 
going to get a lot more in and a lot more opportunity to have an influence on you. If you're willing to listen, show them how you think through problems and not try to say a dictate, right? Because that what has to change as your kid matures, as your kid becomes an adult. I don't go to Tasha and tell Tasha, you need to do X, Y, Z and how I said it. No, I listen to Tasha. I tell her what I think and I kind of, you know, express it in the way that I think is appropriate. But teenagers will do a little bit more formally and a little bit more directly. But you allow them to make their mistakes. And then I love Tasha when she come back. I don't be like, Tasha, I knew he was a boo anyway. And, da, 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 and you know, your husband is the best and whatever. Right. I don't do that. Right. I allow her to have that process and allow her to hear my advice. And then I support her as she goes through the process. We all know, you know how I feel about your husband. What is? Yes. I'm just saying, when what I saw is? that full name, when I saw that full name, I knew he's going to be my best friend. So. And whatever. So, well, thank you. You got, you have any additional questions now? Gosh, I, I mean, this is, this is wonderful. Um, what are, I guess at this point, you know, what are your, like, you know, as we wrap up, um, what, is, what do you feel like, what is one thing that um, our moms can do? Hopefully, I mean, who knows how long we are still going to be in this quarantine shelter and place, whatever name you want to yeah. stack yeah. on masking situation. What is one thing you would like to see? mothers change about themselves if at all possible be easy on yourself you're gonna mess up you're gonna make a mistake all have fallen short of the glory of god all mothers will fall short of that glory uh, there is what we call we call it good enough there's good enough parenting where you know what i might have let you down but i knew you were trying your best right you know, my parents did not do everything they, they, they mess some things up, but I'd like to say I turn out great. And I know that they tried and they thrived for me, right? So it's like, be easy on yourself. Like, I'm a psychologist, right? I know all of these theories and I still mess up, right? And I just know I'm messing up. Like, when I'm immature, I know I'm being immature. I'm still immature, right? Because I'm a human being, right? And I bring in all of my human experiences. And your child sees that and that's okay because they're going to learn, oops, the next time I speak out of anger and come out crazy, how I'm going to respond the next time. More is taught than, more is caught than taught. You could tell your child you was wrong. You, 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 you said you called Keisha a bad name. Now go say sorry and give her a hug. No adult does that. They don't turn around and tell Keisha, I'm sorry and give her a hug, right? But what they do do is they maybe they see their mom like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, you know, I shouldn't have said what I said. I stepped out of anger. Kids will learn from that. They learn from their mistakes. We all learn more from our mistakes and watching the mistakes of others than if we just followed all the rules and did everything just right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so... I know. So where can we um, find you if you want to plug yourself? I don't know. Um, yeah, 
I love what I do. I love being a psychologist. I love helping people. I think I found the perfect job for me. Um, mm-hmm. And it kept me from getting in bad relationships with men who need to be fixed up because I could go to work and fix people, and talk to people and encourage people all day. And then I come home and I ain't got to do any of that. Um, so I just want to put out there that I love what I do. And I know so many amazing psychologists out there, amazing psychologists all over the country who kind of approach their job with this compassion and desire. So, you know, don't feel like I'm the only one who can can come and speak with, with knowledge because there's so many good people out there. Um, but you can try to contact me through, um, my email address, which is, my first name, Dahomey, D-A-H-O-M-E-Y, Ruth, R-U-T-H, at gmail.com. You guys make me feel like I need to set up a social media platform. I don't do this for the, I don't, I don't do this for the gram. <laughs> you should. I mean, you should be. Too late now. Too late now. You're going to be I'm like, like, don't you have Twitter? Twitter? I'm like, you are, you're like a professor. So you should be on like Twitter. My students is on there. I'm trying to be incognito. I don't have people friending me. Oops. 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 Oh, well. I just be in the comments. That's all. I'll be in the comments. That's it. That, exactly. You can. It, we will talk about that offline. Uh-huh. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. I love it. I love it. Fair. Well, definitely. We we so appreciate you uh, allowing us to get on the, on the couch um, and, and soaking up some knowledge and looking forward to applying it in our day to day. Hey, and can I say just listening to this, just showing that you care and you want to be better, a better mom, better at what you do. That's good enough to me, right? You're always trying to perfect and, and try to understand your kids in a new way. That's that's good enough. They're going to see it, you know? Your kids is going to my mom, you know? Just, I don't know. Look me, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there will be a time though where they reflect on what y'all said, and it's a good thing. They're hearing you guys think. They're hearing you guys. They're watching you guys have a good relationship with friends. They're watching you guys be industrious and and about you know taking your knowledge and and, and making it into an industry. Like more is cotton, more is cotton taught. I tell y'all. Stop. Stop it. You, know, you got a little math. You got a little math genius out there. He's gonna have his little podcast about how to do um three multiplications in their head and all that. I can't wait to watch because he tried to teach me. I said we're not doing this, sir. You you five, you know, teach me math today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see Natasha's not saying nothing oh my gosh let us finish and we will talk offline <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we, we will continue the conversation and we ask that you uh, definitely do so in the comments and questions in our Facebook group um, that's probably where we'll have uh, the homie at maybe uh, answering some additional questions so please be sure to check out our show notes as we have provided you with links and information and on various articles. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course the gram, or you can email us at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. 
check out our website, mahoganymomology.com, where you can find all the previous episodes and a little bit of merchandise. Until next time, this is Mel. And I'm Tosh. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye. Hey, y'all got merchandise and stuff? Mm-hmm. Put that on the blog,